Welcome to worship on this beautiful Sunday morning, this first Sunday in the season of Lent. Let's prepare our hearts and minds now to worship God as we listen to the prelude. bulletin. Out of the depths of our struggles, we cry to you, Lord. Come, Lord God, and renew us. Out of the depths of our sins and failures, we cry to you, Lord. Come, Lord God, and redeem us. Out of the depths of our pains and hurts, we cry to you, Lord. Come, Lord God, and forgive us. We have come to give God thanks and praise. Let us worship the Lord.
And let's pray. Holy and loving God, this is your world, and it is our privilege and joy to live, to move, to have our being in this world and in you. You called us here to this place and time of worship to be with these people here in this place and with people who are watching us online in their own place, wherever they are. You've called us from so many different places to this precious moment. And so, holy God, we would revel in this moment. We would rejoice in your presence and we would be fully present to you and to our true selves today as well, right now. So God, meet us where we are, and as you promise, you will guide us to where we need to be. If only we listen, if only we move forward, guided by your hand and by, got, guided by your grace. Loving God, meet us now by your spirit as we enter a time of silent prayer. And from out of the silence, God's people say together, Amen. And let's pray together the prayer of preparation and confession that's printed here in the bulletin. Almighty and merciful God, it is a gift that we can come before you to confess our sins. You've already given us so much, and yet we continue to want more. We want everything to come without struggle, and we get so consumed with our own desires that our eyes are blind to people in real need. Forgive us when we fail to appreciate what we have, Lord. Forgive us when we don't do the work we need to do with care and diligence. Cleanse us of envy, greed, and laziness. Help us see the world with your eyes so that we will respond as you would with generous hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, in this world of constant change, one minute you're up, the next you're down, and most of the time you find yourself somewhere in between. In this world, one fact remains always consistent, always true, always real, that in Jesus Christ, God loves you, God forgives you, accepts you, promises to be with you wherever you go. Receive that good news, be assured it's true, and be at peace. Amen. Let's stand and greet those that are around us. I invite you to turn to the color page in your bulletin there, our announcement highlights. If you're on the inside aisle, if you'll take the pew pad, sign yourself in and pass it on down. If you're a visitor here today, a special welcome to you. There's a place on the pad where you can give us your contact information. The announcements include uh, a coffee that's coming up March 22nd on the engagement process following the worship service. Come and see gatherings are opportunities that people have to find out about the church, those that are interested in membership, and there are several uh, dates that are listed for that as well. Our service project, the Hope Cafe, is coming up on March 14th there. Uh, also, we need volunteers set up for Easter. I've been told that there are five tickets left for the uh, lunch afterwards. It's a mission pick-a-party. It's a $30 lunch for uh, New Orleans food, and uh, that's happening afterwards if you're interested in that. The treasure sale. Every year we collect uh, items for sale, and we uh, raise usually somewhere over $30,000. It goes to help fund the Mexico mission trip. So if you have items, uh, there's the information on the collecting of those. Also a note from the Altar Guild, and that there's going to be a children's ministry potluck on March 8th at the Osborne Home. And then finally, our thoughts and condolences go to the Wolf family. Bruce Wolf, a longtime member, died this past week unexpectedly. And uh, our thoughts and prayers, He's been a he grew up in this church, a member of the choir, as, as well as Jan. So please keep their family in your prayers. We don't have a, an exact date yet of the service, but we will be announcing that as well.
invite you to turn to your scripture text in the bulletins there. This is, uh, this is the book of Philemon. It's an actual, an entire book in the New Testament. You can go home today and say, hey, I read a whole book of the Bible. Uh, and you don't have to tell them it's only 460 words long. Uh, and we're going to be reading this in a minute. So I'd like to just hold off. I'd like to give you an introduction uh, to what's going on here before we read our text. This is actually not a sermon this morning. It's a Bible study. So we're going to do a little Bible study here and learn about this particular passage. Paul wrote this letter in prison, like he did uh, many of the letters of the New Testament. He was in jail in Rome. He wasn't there for a parking ticket. He was uh, charged with treason, treachery against the Roman Empire. He was uh, on death row. And the courts, like today's courts, were backed up. And he was waiting for his court date to come, for him to be tried. Um, and he writes this letter to a man who lived in Colossae, Greece, named Philemon. We, we think he was a wealthy man because he had a house that was big enough for the church to meet in. They met in his house. And when Paul went to Colossae, he preached, he converted some people, he started a church there, and included in that group was this man, Philemon. Um, let me just say a little bit that this is, this is very much how the Bible is written. The Bible is written to particular people in particular places, to certain churches, usually. It's rare to have a personal letter like this in, in, in there. But it was written, uh, the Bible is what you call prescriptive literature. It was written to address a certain concern or problem that was going on. And Paul used his letters to try to get the Christians on the right track in certain ways. And um, this is, Earl Palmer points out that this is very, very important when you're analyzing scripture to understand the context that was being addressed in this place. When you don't do that, you can get in trouble. For example, in the letter to the Corinthians, in, in the church in Corinth, there were some women, a small group of women, who were fighting amongst each other. And, and they were causing some trouble. And so Paul wrote in the letter to the Corinthians, don't let the women speak in church. And so what happened over the years was that that particular admonition to that one church was universalized. So that you have actual denominations, like the one I grew up in, the Church of Christ, or the Southern Baptists, that will not allow women to be ministers because of that one particular verse to that one church. They universalized it. That's not good. You're not supposed to take other people's prescriptions. You're supposed to make sure that you have the same thing. And so, and so it's very important to understand the context here of what's going on. Paul doesn't sit down every day and say, hey, I think I'll write, write a few more pages in the Bible. That's not how it goes. He addresses particular situations and concerns. So here's the situation with this one. Paul's in jail in Rome, and he meets a runaway slave named Onesimus. Back then, they didn't have individual cells. You just threw a bunch of people together in the dungeon, and you were in jail. And um, Paul used the opportunity of being in jail to preach. In fact, he said, you know, when you're a preacher, jail's not a bad thing because you've got a captive audience. <laughs> no, they can't go anywhere. And in fact, he actually brags in one of his, his letters. He says, because I've been in jail, half of the Praetorian Guard has been converted and are now Christians. They're, they're Christians. You have brothers and sisters in the Praetorian Guard because I've been able to preach to them and convert them in jail. So Onesimus, this runaway slave, is also converted. And in the course of their conversation, well, you can imagine the conversation. Yeah, they're talking there. They're, uh, what's your name, Paul? What's your name, Onesimus? What you in for, Paul? Preaching? What are you in for, Onesimus? Well, I'm a runaway slave. Oh, where are you from? Onesimus says, Colossi. Colossi, Turkey. Paul says, I've been to Colossae. 
In fact, I started a church there. Who was your owner? And Onesimus says, Philemon. Paul says, I know Philemon. I know that guy. I converted him. I know him very well. He's in the church there. So small world in this Roman jail. The time comes for Philemon, for, excuse me, Onesimus to be returned to Philemon. In those days, they actually didn't punish the slaves themselves directly. They just took you back to your owner, and the owner was allowed to punish the slaves. And you were able, the most common punishment was crucifixion. Another common one was to have a, a large F branded on your forehead, which meant fugitivus. A slave, it, was, it wasn't murder to kill a slave. They were property. And so he's going to be sent back to Philemon, and Paul sits down, and he writes a letter that Onesimus is going to take with him to give to Philemon and the church there. And that's the letter that we're going to read right here. Okay. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may promote the knowledge of all good that is ours in Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an ambassador and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I have become in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him in order that he might serve me in your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. Perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back for even longer, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping through your prayers to be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. A couple notes on this text. Do you notice right at the beginning there? In those days, you don't sign your name at the end of the letter. You sign it at the beginning. So it says, to Philemon from Paul. So you know right off at the very beginning who it's to and who it's from. The first thing Paul does in his letter is he compliments Philemon a lot, which is a pretty smart thing to do when you're going to ask a favor, right? He gives him a lot of compliments uh, and uh, says nice things about him. There's an interesting little thing in verse 11. It's a play on words, a pun. In Greek, a name is not just a name, but it has a meaning. We don't have this so much in English, but um, the name Onesimus actually means useful. And so Paul has that little line where he says, he was useless to you. So, so Onesimus, useful, was useless to you, but now he's useful again, because I'm sending him back. 
So it's a little kind of a pun that you would only understand if you got the Greek connotation of the name there. And then we acknowledge the fact that Onesimus was not just a runaway, but he was probably a thief. Because if you're a slave and you own nothing, and, you're, and you leave, you run away, you probably have to steal some stuff to fund your journey. So Onesimus may have stolen anything that he could to take with him when he ran away, because he made it all the way from Turkey to Rome, quite a ways. So he had to have some money to get there and to fund his journey. And so Paul offers Philemon, he offers to pay anything that Onesimus owes to Philemon. He makes that offer, which I love. I think that's fun, because how do you collect from a guy on death row? How's he going to get the money from him? But he says, he says it to him. He says that. Um, and then my favorite is when he says, you know, charge me, you know, if he owes you anything. But then he says, but I remind you, you owe your very self to me. Isn't that rich? You owe yourself to me. Your, your faith is because of me. So if you want to charge me, go ahead. But just remember, you owe yourself to me. This is a masterpiece of persuasion. If I was a, in trouble, I'd want Paul to be my attorney. He was good. How does he persuade Philemon? Three different things he tries. First of all, Paul uses guilt. You know, guilt is a good thing sometimes. There's bad guilt, neurotic guilt, but there's also good guilt. If you do something bad and you feel guilty, that's good. That means you're not a sociopath. But, you know, there are some cases where guilt is an appropriate response to something, and Paul uses it here. He says, remember... You owe your very self to me. I remember seeing this uh, card one time, and a greeting card, and it was from a company called the Jewish Mother Greeting Card Company. And it had a picture of this little old lady sitting on a couch by herself in a room. And the, and the front of the card said, it's okay, you don't have to come visit me. And on the inside it said, I only gave birth to you. <laughs> Good guilt. Good guilt. Paul uses it. Secondly, peer pressure. Did you notice, notice that the letter is not just addressed to Philemon? It was addressed to the church. And like most of Paul's letters, it was meant to be read aloud in worship. So can you imagine the day that it comes and the, the church is all gathered there at the house and somebody stands up and reads the letter. Everyone looks over at Philemon. What's it going to be, huh? What are you going to do, Philemon? And then he, thirdly, he uses the threat of follow-up. He says, get a room ready for me. Because I'm going to come. And when I come, I don't want to see any big F branded on Onesimus' forehead. I'm going to come and check on him. I think he just made that up because two other places, Paul says that if, if he gets out of jail, he's going to Spain, which is the opposite direction, total opposite direction. Um, but he doesn't get out anyway. Two years later, he was killed outside the gates of Rome. You know, this passage brings up kind of an interesting question. Why didn't Paul condemn the institution of slavery? Why didn't he take the opportunity? I mean, we all pretty much agree that slavery, slavery is a morally bankrupt institution, right? And so why didn't Paul condemn that? In fact, you know that the southern churches in the Civil War days, they used this scripture to justify owning slaves. They said God is not against slavery. Paul sent Onesimus back to his owner to be, continue to be a slave. They use this to justify their holding of slaves. We don't know exactly, but at the time that this was written, there were approximately 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Slavery was a very part of the fabric of life. Even the advanced Greek democratic society of Aristotle and Plato, slavery was assumed. They had democracy, but only if you were free, rich, and male. Perhaps Paul knew that it just wasn't time yet. That if Christianity incited a slave rebellion, millions of people would be murdered. 
It took 1,800 years until Christians, and I'm glad that it was Christians, who began the abolition of slavery in the 1800s. People like David Livingston, William Wilberforce, John Brown, Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, those kind of people who began the movement to abolish this hideous thing called slavery. So instead of instituting a new socio-political order, Paul introduces a new relationship between human beings in which all of the external differences are abolished. He writes this, In Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, male or female, slave or free, but all are one. That is so radical. Breaking down the barriers of society, economic and gender and social barriers, to have a slave and a slave owner sitting beside themselves worshiping God was an unheard of thing. And Paul was the beginning to, to institute this sort of society in the world. So what does this mean for us now, 2,000 years later? I can think of a few lessons for us, for our lives from this. First thing is, make sure you pay attention to the little people in your life. Remember the uh, New York hotel owner, Leona Helmsley? She, they called her the queen of mean because she denigrated the little people. This reminds us that whatever, whoever a person is on the lower end of the economic scale, make sure you treat the people that bust your tables and bring you your food and ring up your cash register, make sure you treat those people with great dignity and respect. Paul did, and he encourages us to do that as well. The second thing we need to learn from this text is that beautiful things can be born in a prison cell. Here this beautiful thing came out of that worst of circumstances. I know some of you feel like you're living in, in a prison. Some of you are in a relationship that is so problematic that it feels like a prison. Some of you long for a relationship to come into your life and your prison is loneliness. For some of you, the prison is, is a disease that you're battling and fighting in, in that situation. For some of you, it's having a job which is utterly meaningless and you go to it every day and you wonder why you're there. So, Paul speaks from his prison cell to yours to remind you that God can grow roses in prison and new beginnings can happen. The third takeaway is that everybody deserves a second chance. You hear people talk nowadays about zero tolerance, one strike, you're out. That's not the Bible. That's not the gospel. In the Bible, people that are murderers, like David and Moses, are used by God and given a second chance. People have many chances. It's called grace. So when you need to forgive someone and give them a second chance, just remember, that's what the Bible encourages you to do. If you're an employer and you have a chance to hire a felon, remember this text. Remember what it says. And then, fourthly, expect the best of people. When you expect the best, often they, they rise to that level. Paul wrote to Philemon, I'm sure that you will do what I ask. In fact, I'll, I know that you'll do even more than I ask. He expects him to do the best, and we hope he does. Now, the question is, what happened? We don't know. This is all we have. We have no knowledge of what happened when Onesimus got back to Philemon. We have no idea the end of this story. But there's one interesting historical footnote. In the letters of Ignatius, one of the early church fathers, a little bit later, he wrote these letters to the different churches and he addressed them to the different bishops of the different churches. And one of the letters is addressed to the Bishop of Ephesus. And the Bishop of Ephesus had an unusual name. It was a slave name. His name was Onesimus. We don't know for sure, but it's possible that Onesimus went on 
to become a bishop in the early church. Well, some scholars think that's likely because why else would this letter have been preserved? Paul must have written hundreds of personal letters. Why is this one in the Bible? Why was it adopted into the canon? Unless there was a famous bishop somewhere that thought it ought to be included and thought it was pretty important. Paul speaks from his jail cell to wherever you are in your life. And he encourages you to remember all those things that we've just talked about. Amen.
join me in the great thanksgiving printed in your bulletins. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Be seated, please. It's our great privilege on the first Sunday of the month to be able to gather at this table and to participate in communion together. We are remembering the last night in Jesus' life when he gathered his disciples together in an upper room. And as they sat there at the table, he took the bread that was before him and he said, eat this. For this is my body that is broken for you. And in like manner, he took the cup that was there and he said, drink this, for this is the cup of salvation, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Let us join together in praying the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus Christ, I invite you to this, his table. It's the largest, most welcoming table in the world, because everyone's welcome here. Doesn't matter your age, your gender, your economic situation, your sexual orientation. Everyone is welcome at the Lord's table. If your heart is filled with joy today, come and bring your gratitude and your thanks to this table. But if you're carrying a heavy burden, Jesus said, come to me, give me your burden, and I'll give you a lighter one. He said, if you're spiritually thirsty, come to me and I will give you living water, and you'll never be spiritually thirsty again. This day, we come to the table of the Lord. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come for all things are ready.
each time we celebrate the Lord's Supper here once a month in this congregation, we join together at the end by reciting or reading the 23rd Psalm. Let's do that now together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff they come to me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. sisters, as you leave this place, that you go forth as representatives and ambassadors of our Lord Jesus Christ. So live your life this week in such a way that wherever you are, when people see you, they'll see Christ living in you. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and always hold you in the palm of his hand. Amen. Go in peace.